Thank you, Haley. So my name is David Floyd. Uh, Mary and I have been part of the John Knox congregation for about six years, and uh, it's a real pleasure for me to have this opportunity to just share the scripture with you. I'll be referring to the text that Haley just read in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, but I want to begin out of John's Gospel, a very well-known passage, Jesus' prayer before his death and crucifixion, before his crucifixion, before his resurrection. He was with the disciples. It's wonderful that this has been recorded for us by the writer of John. And we read this. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their work, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want to share with you today something that I've entitled that we may be completely one. You know, I've been interested in unity in the family of God for many, many years. Even growing up in Kansas, um, in a small town, Ulysses, Kansas, in, in the southwest corner of the state, we had divisions between the churches in our small town. And I remember there was a movement uh, of churches coming together and believers coming together to enjoy the study of scripture together. And as a young person, uh, I had the privilege of leading our, our citywide youth group. And I remember leading a, a, a group, well, I didn't lead it, I participated in a, a group of singers. And we would go from church to church and, and sing. We called ourselves Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, YTNT. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was really a blessing. And I, you know, I remember going into these congregational settings and gathering the congregation together in a big circle, holding hands. And if you're of a certain age, you will probably remember a song, We Are One in the Bond of Love. And there was a sense of God's pleasure and God's presence as we would sing that together. We are one in the bond of love. Many years later, Mary and I had the opportunity to travel to Belgium and uh, to live there for a period of 28 years. And while we were in Belgium, this same interest in the unity in the church became an increasing priority to me. Before we had gone to Belgium, we were influenced by a book called Operation World, which is 
At, at that time, it was sort of a standard missionary book, and it described different societies around the world and gave a percentage to the number of Christians in that society. And we were impacted by the fact that Belgium had a, a, a pretty low number of Christians from the perspective of the man who wrote the book. Now, he failed to take into consideration a large expression of the Christian family, the Roman Catholic expression of the Christian family, because he was coming at it from a conservative evangelical perspective. And so I went into that setting with that same bias. It was a few years after being there that I met uh, the leader of the Catholic radio and television for Europe. We were renting office space in their building and he was about to leave to return to Ireland, an Irish priest. And so I said, Colm, let's just go have coffee together. I want to get to know you. And in that conversation, I said, Colm, how did you become a priest? And he told me this fantastic story of God leading him into the priesthood. And a lot of those biases that I had developed began to erode. Later on, during the first Gulf War, we had been as a church meeting in a school, an international school, well, it was a British school of Brussels, but because of security reasons, they had to close the school, and so we needed a new church home. The pastor of the German Protestant church, Hans Willy Butner, invited us to have our services in their facility. Then through Hans Willy, I got to know a group of other pastors and leaders that were meeting on a monthly basis it was an interchurch committee that gathered together various language groups, but it also gathered people from the Orthodox Church, from Catholic churches, Protestant, Evangelical, and it was a wonderful place of fellowship and interaction. And I became quite involved in that because the particular branch of the church that I was part of in Belgium, in a lot of ways, had fostered a sense of division and separation. And I wanted to mitigate against that. And so I got more and more involved. And I had said, got to know these church leaders, and I heard their stories. I heard how God had worked in them and led them. I was amazed at God's faithfulness and his uh, loving shepherding of those individuals from such a variety of cultures and backgrounds. One thing that we longed for as a community of leaders was to be able to share the communion table together. And for various reasons, we couldn't do that. One thing that we could do and that we did every time that we gathered is we would pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
But some of the traditions restricted communion to the confines of, of their particular expression and denomination. And so we couldn't share the table of the Lord. I remember, though, praying the Lord's Prayer with these uh, leaders. And what a wonderful time that was. Uh, and th there was one, one priest that I got to know. He was a Syriac Orthodox priest. And uh, we became good friends. And I remember praying with him the Lord's Prayer. And, and uh, he was a linguist and uh, had studied at the Sorbonne in Paris. And, uh, but he spoke as his native tongue, Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus most likely spoke. And so I remember praying the Lord's Prayer with him, and I said, hello, would you please pray the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic? And what a beautiful experience that was. We longed, though, to be able to share the communion with the bread and the cup together. We could acknowledge our unity in Christ by praying the Lord's Prayer, but to share the table of the Lord was out of reach for most of us at that time. I remember, um, however, that people, you know, anytime that there's regulations and rules and restrictive guidelines, um, the people who have an open heart look for ways around that, right? <laughs> and uh, I did a wedding. Uh, it was a Rwandan couple. He was Anglican and she was uh, Catholic. And I was me. And, <laughs> and so I did it with a Catholic priest. And uh, the couple had wanted to have open communion during the wedding. And so I, I talked to this Rwandan priest, and I said, is there any way? He said, well, David, he said, you know when people come up for the table of the Lord, he said, I don't interrogate them if they're Catholic or not. He said, sure, we can do that. And so we did, and it was a delightful thing. You know, I also got to know another priest, a guy named Jean Pierson. And he, uh, Jean was a, a Jesuit, had um, held some significant positions within the Jesuit order and, and uh, a delightful man. And I got to know him and there was a real humility, humility that exuded from him. After we had known each other for a number of years, John invited me to the retirement home for Jesuit priests, where he was the chaplain. And he invited me to join with him in the Mass. And he invited me to uh, serve these priests, the body and blood of Christ. It was a beautiful expression, a beautiful experience. Some of the barriers coming down. One of the last things that I did was the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, so the Battle of Waterloo was in 1815. So in 2015, we had the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. 
we were living in Waterloo at that time. And so there was, you know, all of these festivities around the battle and around war. And so this group, this ecumenical group that I was a part of, we wanted to celebrate the peace that we had found in Jesus Christ. And we wanted that to be visible to the community in Waterloo. And so we, were, we, we organized this wonderful celebration, prayer celebration for world peace. In the current age of vindictive division, I'm mindful of the opportunity that we have as disciples of Jesus to demonstrate what unity is, and in that to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. I long for a context of profound love free from corrupting elements of self-centeredness and pride, where each one of us can experience our personal value and can freely express the value of each person. I've experienced moments of intense love in my relationship with God's church. However, judgment, disappointment, stress, and fatigue have often diminished the intensity of those feelings, nearly snuffing them out. The intensity of love expressed by the Apostle Paul in our text pours out from a heart that is free and unencumbered. Jimmy mentioned last week that Philippians is his favorite epistle. It's been mine as well especially for me, chapter 3, as I identified with Paul's longing to know Christ more deeply. We love the book of Philippians because it presents a picture of a church exuding love and joy. We long to see the churches of the world live into this potential, the spectacular beauty of Jesus' church and his bride. What is our vision for our church, our church family here at John Knox? The church at Philippi was a community birthed by God and centered around the gospel. We read that they were partners with Paul in the gospel. Paul said Jesus has started it and Jesus will continue to develop it and perfect it. We read in verse 5 of our chapter, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We recognize that that church was partners in God's grace. And that grace was the uniting Factor, and it would continue to be the uniting center of the church. Here at John Knox, keeping in mind that we are together because we are partners in the gospel and grace, that is grace that is totally unearned, totally undeserved. 
We have a potential to have a secure environment where each member can grow and explore this walk with Jesus Christ. We do share communion with bread and cup together as a sign of our unity. Each week, Jimmy reminds us that this is not his table, it's not John Knox's table, but it's the table of the Lord. Thankfully, we do not have a moment of interrogation where we are under the pressure to verify our worthiness before we share the covenant together. We do, earlier in our liturgy, and we've experienced this today, have a time of confession to God of our imperfections and our floundering. And we are comforted with the words of assurance of forgiveness. We remember Jesus together, his gospel, his grace, and with simple bread and cup, we acknowledge that we are joined to Christ and to each other. We are saying at the communion table that we are devotees of Christ, disciples. Dallas Willard, a scholar that I've appreciated over the years, uses the word apprentice. And I like that word, apprentice, for disciple. Because it implies growth and improvement. The Apostle Paul in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians expresses the trajectory of his life toward a deeper experiential knowledge of Christ. But he's quick to remind us that he's not attained. Neither of any of us. We share the ambition to become more like Christ, to experience him more profoundly. We aim to grow in our unity in him through robust communication in an atmosphere of love and humility. Will there be differences in opinion on moral and theological issues? Yes. This does not need to result in conflict or disunity. In the letter, in chapter 4, Paul writes this, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntic to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. In love and humility, acknowledging God's embrace, we too should work towards being of the same mind in the Lord. You know, there's a great deal of love and rejoicing in these opening verses of Philippians. 
just consider the frequency. If you look at the text again, the frequency of the, the word all. It appears in verse 1, 4, 7, and twice in verse 8. No one is excluded in the church that the apostle loves. He's addressing it to all. Paul prays for an overflowing of love. Not just a sentimental love, but a love that has substance, a love that acts. He references prayer and financial support that are real expressions for Paul of the love of the Philippian church. And then he prays for the church. And as an act of love, he anticipates sending Epaphroditus back to the church and later Timothy. There's a celebration element to this love that is fabulous. A love modeled on the extravagant love of God. Earlier this week, um, in a nostalgic moment, I went back and listened to Keith Green. Anybody know Keith Green? <laughs> Keith Green's prodigal son, Sweet. I tell you what, if you've never heard it, you need to go on YouTube and listen to Keith Green's prodigal son, Sweet. It is such a celebration of the father's extravagant love. And it's no wonder that the celebratory language here in our passage reminded me of what we find in the parable of Jesus, the prodigal son, and then the two parables before that in chapter 15 of Luke. And these three parables in Luke 15 were shared in this context. Verse 1 of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We have in this context the celebration over the lost sheep that is found, that wonderful story that Jesus tells. We have the celebration over the lost coin that is found. We have the celebration over the lost son who returned to the unearned love and favor of his father. While I was reflecting on this parable, I went back and I listened to an old sermon from Dr. Edmund Clooney of Westminster Theological Seminary. And the remarks that I'll make now, I'll be mixing his thoughts with my own. You're familiar, no doubt, with this story of the rebellious son who dishonored his father and squandered his inheritance and the bitterness and the jealousy expressed by the older son upon the return of his brother. The father invites the older son to share in the grace and the mercy he is extending to his, to his younger son 
In order to participate in the feast, however, he must enter into his Father's grace-filled rejoicing over his broken but restored brother. If he is to say, my father, then he must also say, my brother. In Dr. Clooney's sermon, he mentions a true story of two brothers, Daniel and Donald Dawson. Daniel was a pilot in Vietnam in the early days. His plane was shot down, and he was reported as missing in action. Having already lost his father in a maritime accident, Donald decided to risk his own well-being and flew to Vietnam in 1964 to look for his brother. His love acted. His actions spoke volumes even to the Viet Cong, who referred to him simply as the pilot's brother. Portions of this journal that Donald wrote were recorded in Life magazine in 1964. Again, those of you of a certain age would remember Life magazine. As I mentioned earlier, the parable of the prodigal son is prefaced with the accusation, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, we're living in a time of what seems to me unparalleled moral confusion. And this accusation could easily be leveled at any one of us. He doesn't respect the proper separation from sinners. He exposes himself to uncleanness. Where do we see him going? He goes to eat with the publicans and the sinners. That's where he goes. You know, I had, as I mentioned, the privilege of working in a culture different than my own when Mary and I lived in Belgium. And it was, I just wasn't always sensitive to my environment. An example of my insensibility that stands out to me is uh, early on, we were in one of our buildings and holding a Friday evening kind of service, church service. And I loved to play keyboard and sing, and I wanted to share a song that had deep meaning to me. The problem was that the lyrics were in English, and most of the people gathered spoke either French or Dutch. It was definitely a moment of cross-cultural insensitivity on my part, and there were plenty more such moments. But we live in a period of cultural shift. And we must learn to communicate effectively in a cross-cultural way. 
Here at John Knox, we are trying to sensitively, effectively, and accurately communicate the gospel to the world we live in. We are aware, unlike me in my early days in Belgium, that it's easy to use language and ideas that are foreign. Our words can be potentially and unnecessarily offensive to those people we are trying to reach with this good news. And we're trying to avoid that. We will be imperfect in all of our attempts. But our commitment to humility and love for each other as we try to work this out will go a long way to remove the stress and enable an atmosphere of joy and celebration. At John Knox, we affirm our shared commitment to partnership in the gospel of grace. I would like to echo Paul's prayer for the Philippian church as my own prayer for my church, John Knox. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what really matters so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Just continuing and finishing with a few more thoughts from the prodigal son. It's only Jesus to whom the Father says, all that I have is yours. It's only Jesus that has the valid inheritance of the Father. Jesus is heir of all in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, it's all mine, but I give it all to my brother. Jesus Christ, the elder brother, knows the Father's heart of love. The true elder brother came from heaven to look for his brother. Know the joy of grace. What kind of sinner are you? Are you the prodigal type? You're not worthy? Don't try to make yourself better. Just come home. Are you the elder brother type? Fall on your brother's neck and kiss him. Be counted with the one who eats with sinners. Love is motivating us forward. 
and will defeat the evil and bring restoration of all good things. The full knowledge and insight. Love will help us determine what really matters. My hope is for restored unity where there has been uneasiness and stress. My prayer is for love, joy, and peace as we catch a glimpse of what really matters and move toward relationships with each other that are pure, blameless, and refreshingly intense.